Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast, a podcast with in-depth interviews and conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, expert coaches, industry leaders, and international celebrities. Get exclusive insight into the world of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle with your host, Mark Sefton. Welcome to this edition of the Brains Magazine podcast. Really excited for today's guest. We have Anthony Anarino with us today and really excited to find out a little bit more about Anthony. Anthony is the founder of B2B Sales Coach and Consultancy. Anthony is also a writer, a speaker and a sales leader. I'm really excited over the next 30, 40 minutes to be able to delve deep into Anthony's history and find out a little bit more about what it is that Anthony is doing currently. How are you, Anthony? I'm wonderful. And that name just rolled right off your tongue this time, didn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it did. Right off my tongue. Uh, It's always interesting when I'm interviewing somebody who has a a kind of an interesting surname that from the English language doesn't always articulate into the actual native language of where that name originates from. I'm assuming, Anthony, it's Italian. It is correct. That's right. Yeah. So, and, and you would use a Y at the beginning if you were in Italy, but in America, it's the I that just confuses everybody and it's fun. So we just let them be confused. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm glad that we're able to overcome that one. I thought that might be the biggest challenge uh, on today's podcast. Let's hope uh, that it is. What I'd like to do, Anthony, I always like to get a bit of perspective, uh, especially before we kind of focus on the here and now in terms of what it is that you do and and how you ended up here so if we can like wind back the clock Anthony on maybe who and what had the greatest impact on you as a young man that you feel really kind of attributed and contributed to who you are today well this is going to start a conflict between you and me right now so now we're already going to have an issue so you Brits, I love you. Like I, I love the, I love England. I love everything about it. And I've got a lot of great friends there. But what I would say is that you were a tremendous exporter at one time. And, and the thing that you exported to the United States was rock and roll. So that, that's <laughs> what it was. And then what I would just say to you now, Mark, is what have you done for us lately? Like one direction, like that's what you give us. Like you give us nothing. So you gave us Zeppelin, the Who, the Stones, the Beatles, Deep Purple, Judas Priest, and the names go on and on. But the one that got me, I was 15 years old. It was July 6th, 1982. And you sent us Def Leppard. And, uh, and it was the Pyromania tour, the first concert I ever saw. And I fell in love with, with just loud live rock and roll music. I mean, it was, uh, it was just something you could not repress at all. It was so, so raw. It was perfect. After I saw that uh, band play, I started just picking up every album. I'd already had some albums, but I started collecting them. I started going to every show. And then I had something that happened to me a couple of years later. I was at an, another show with a great uh, English lead singer, David Coverdale. I was uh, watching White Snake play. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that my girlfriend was looking at David Coverdale in a, in a way that sort of made me feel a tremendous amount of inferiority. <laughs> like the, the look that she was looking at this rock star. Yeah, I was 17 years old and I knew two things had to happen. Uh, one, we're leaving like, immediately, if not sooner. <laughs> and number two, 
I'm starting a rock and roll band. So I'd been playing rock and roll when, when I was about 15, but 17, I started a legitimate band. The band ended up being a really good band. We could fill the, the large clubs here in Columbus, Ohio, three nights, a thousand people a night. We could fill the big venues with a couple thousand people if we got another band with us. So we were doing really well. And I had a, a friend who said to me, you're really good at this. You should go to LA in front of hair metal band. And I said, um, okay, I'll do that. And I drove to LA and I had to get a job there. The only thing I knew how to do was temporary staffing. That was my family's business. And so I got a job just interviewing people and placing them. <clears throat> I love this job because it kept me free for the evenings so that I could play rock and roll. And I had this terrible event. I don't know if you've ever had this kind of event, but it's awful when it happens. I got a new manager. That's a terrible thing. Like, cause what's a new manager going to do? They're going to start changing things. They're going to start expecting things of you. And the manager I had was completely gone. Like he didn't do anything. It was wonderful. We had a great relationship. <laughs> he didn't talk to me. I didn't talk to him. Things went really well. Now this guy got in and he, he realized a couple things. First, he realized his sales force wasn't selling. And so he came over to me one time and he said, what do our salespeople do? And I'm like, I don't know, you know, they're out, they're doing stuff. And, and uh, he, it was not the answer he was looking for. <laughs> so he walked away, but he came back later on and he gave me a, a set of reports and he said, whose clients are these? And they were all mine. And uh, this is where I made my first mistake, Mark hmm. he said, how did you now, not me, like the, the me that you're looking at right now, <clears throat> this is a me that has hair to his waist okay <laughs> all one length straight hair in a ponytail and uh, he said how did you get these clients and I said it's really easy uh, I know where people used to work and they write down who their manager was in the phone number so I call them and I know they use these kind of people so I ask them if I can come out and talk to them and some of them say yes and and then uh, I ask them what kind of problems they have and some of them have problems that I can solve for them and I ask them if I can help and they say yes and he said, that what you just said is beautiful. I want you to cut your hair and go into full-time outside field sales. Worst thing I ever heard ever come out of anybody's mouth. What it sounded like to me is like, I want you to be an ax murderer and go on a killing spree in the United States or something. Like I'm, I'm hearing these words and I'm like, wait, I'm not pushy. I'm not manipulative. I'm not self-oriented. I'm not money gripping. I'm none of the things that salespeople are. Well, he was a psychology major and he said, so all those words that you use to describe salespeople, is that how you win deals? And I'm like, no, it's because I don't do those things. And then he's just smiling at me because he realized I keep digging. The first rule of getting out of a hole is stop digging, right? But I'm just like shoveling away, shoveling away, <laughs> continuing to, to dig this hole. And at some point, this conversation was not interesting to him anymore. And he said, I want you to understand the nature of our relationship. Whenever anybody says, I want you to understand the nature of our relationship, you know, you're not in a good position. <laughs> like you're not. And he said, you work for me and you're going to do the job I need you to do, not the job you want to do. And I said, that is harsh. I'm a great employee. I'm the only employee out of 4,000 people that got a raise this year. And you're telling me that I have to take this job that I don't even want. Well, as circumstance uh, happened. I, I got my kitchen cabinet together. So all my friends, and uh, I decided that the best thing that we could do would be go to a bar and drink beer while I sort this out. Cause 
nothing makes for better decisions than alcohol, right? That's been true <laughs> for anybody who's listening to this. So I'm there and uh, somebody comes up and grabs me and they kiss me. And I don't know this man and he doesn't know me, but he thinks I'm Anthony Kiedis, who's his best friend. And I'm not. And uh, at that point, I'm like, I look like everybody else out here. So maybe I cut my hair so I can stay. I'll go like black crow's length, right? So just like, just past the shoulders and, and see what happens. Then I became a terrible salesperson. Instead of just doing what I was doing, I became everything that you should not do. Like I'm, I'm trying too hard. I'm pushing and uh, it didn't work for me. Unfortunately, I had a good manager and he said, uh, you just watch what I do. Like, and what he did was mostly nothing. He would ask a question and then he would just sit quietly and let them talk until they ran out of words. And then after they were done, he'd say something like, hmm, that's it. Like, and, and then they would keep talking for a little while and then he would get deal after deal after deal. So we grew the branch from 2000 hours of production to 22,000 in a year. Wow. And we went from being the worst office in the United States to the best office on the Western half of the United States inside of a year. Um, what happened to me that changed my trajectory was that I had a brain surgery. So walking up to my Brentwood apartment in LA, I was 25 years old and I had a grand mal seizure. Uh, the interesting thing about having a grand mal seizure is you're the only one that doesn't know you had a grand mal seizure. Everybody else knows they can see this. So I was disoriented and I ended up going to UCLA where they diagnosed me with brain cancer, which I did not have. So fortunately the diagnosis was wrong but I had what was called an AVM, an arterial venous malformation. So it was a big group of arteries and veins that grew into a knot right on the back of my front right lobe. The best guy in the world to remove that is a guy named John Tu in the University of Cincinnati, oddly enough. Now you might not want to get a surgery there because of your hay fever, but me, uh, I wanted the best guy in the world and Tu is the best guy in the world. I try to describe him, his demeanor anyway. Uh, the difference between God and John Tu is that God doesn't think he's John Tu. So, so that's sort of like a guy that's going to cut your head open. You hope they're supremely confident, right? Yes. And, and he was, and uh, he did a good job. But after that, I kind of uh, just went through this transformation. Rock and roll died. Grunge took over and then grunge died. And uh, I decided to go to college. And then I decided to go to law school. I got a, an academic scholarship to law school. Then I went to Harvard Business School. And then I helped grow my family business from $3 million to $50 million. And then people started asking me, how do you do that with just six people? And uh, then I started teaching. Hmm. So since 2009, I've been writing every day. I've written three best-selling books on sales, modern sales. So not smarmy, manipulative, the things that you're worried about, Mark. Like you don't have to worry about those things. We don't sell that way now. <laughs> and the connotation's not... Uh, it's not negative anymore. We're softer. We're not hard charging Glengarry Glenn Ross, you know, always be closing people now. Wow. There's so much in there. Uh, so much richness. The, the first thing I have to say is that there's one thing that I feel like the UK has done for America in the last couple of years. And, and that's probably all the nonsense around Brexit, especially when it was during the, uh, the latest, um, what was it? president election that you had going on in the states you know having having us you know making a mess of that was uh, i think <laughs> kind of a, a little uh, bit of a smoke screen for you guys for sure and i definitely feel like you probably returned the favor as well at the same time uh with that that was quite interesting 
just an incredible story in terms of you know the history around the music you know being involved in in a band and obviously having that kind of synergy with some british bands as well and yeah i think the uk has done really well with creating some incredible bands but as you said like more recently one direction probably isn't cutting the mustard um some incredible pivots i love the story around you know the the new manager you know who who kind of just wanted to probe a little bit with you around how you managed to get those clients did you realize that you were that you were good at sales at that point anthony was it something that I, was kind of a surprise i i didn't believe i was selling yeah. I, I i grew up in my family business so i i started a division of that business and i was very very young i might be 18 or 19 because they'll let me have my hair long and i can play rock and roll at night so that's working great for me yeah and and my mom, who started the business with her business partner, both single moms, um, couldn't get a, a, a loan because they didn't have a husband to co-sign. Like between them, they didn't have a husband. So they were, they were out of luck. And they just told me, like, when you're not busy, call other people and see if they could use any help. Mm. So they didn't tell me to sell anything. They just mm. said, call people and see if they need help. So when I got to LA, I thought what you do when you're not busy is you call people and see if you can help them. So that's what I was trying to do. I didn't know I was selling at all until he told me, like until he sat down and said, like, how did you win these clients? I didn't think of it like that. I thought I'm trying to help these people. I know they use what we do and I know I can get them a better result. So I mm -hmm. called him and asked that. And really that's what selling is. It's helping somebody get a better result than they could get without you. That's mm. what you're doing when you're doing it correctly. Mm. Yeah, I said at the start, like sales is such a dirty word. How have you and how are you kind of changing the association, you know, of that, you know, because none of us like to be sold to. I always find it really interesting when I consider my own buying habits. Nobody had to pick up the phone. Nobody had to convince me. I didn't feel like I had to be uh, kind of coerced into making a decision. So how, how are you changing that as a sales professional uh, and what more needs to be done, do you think? There's a lot that needs to be done. So here, here's what I would tell you about that. I taught at a university and one of the classes I taught was personal selling, sort of a survey of sales. And the first question I would ask the class is to tell me what words they, they believe um, describe selling. And they would say smarmy, manipulative, pushy, self-oriented, money-grubbing. And I'd wait until they get like a nice whiteboard full of all these negative words, you know? So then once they get those done, now they're in my trap. And so I would just say, raise your hand if one of your parents works as a salesperson. And that at 25, maybe six hands go up. And then I would say, okay, if you're, if you're, it's your dad, lower your hand. If it's your mom, leave your hand up. And then there'd be like three people with their hands still up. And I would say, so Dylan, your mom is pushy, smarmy, manipulative, money-grubbing, self-oriented, and will do anything to get a deal. And that person would go, no, but people love my mom. Like her clients are really good friends with her. She's nothing like that. And I'm like, well, hang on, Dylan. You said smarmy. That's your word, like right there. And he go, no, she's not like that at all. And, and for some reason, the connotation, because of sort of the, the history of sales, still sort of lives on, even though these kids are 21, they've never bought anything. They don't know any salespeople. They've never bought anything significant to, to begin with, but it kind of hangs around mm. and uh, it shouldn't. So what's happened is basically we've left what I would call 
the last two generations. So two generations ago, we would call that a legacy approach. And that means I'm going to try to coerce you. I'm going to tell you all about my company. I'm going to make it all about why us, why you should buy from us, what makes us so great. Very little emphasis at all on what Mark wants or needs. And like that, that's the part where you start to go like, I don't like being sold to. Yeah, because you're not even part of it. I'm going one way with you telling you like, you want this, you want this, you want this. It doesn't work for people. And so here's what the statistics say. Uh, according to HubSpot, 29% of buyers want to talk to a salesperson very early on. So that means 71 don't. So on Forrester's research, 59% of people don't want to talk to a salesperson because they believe the salesperson is going to pursue their agenda instead of the client's agenda. Mm -hmm. And so this is where we have to move out of this legacy approach and say, what we're really doing is facilitating a buyer's journey. Our job is to facilitate that. So I know more than you do about what I sell. And the reason why is I sell it every day and you buy it infrequently. So one of us has more experience and could give you some insights about what kind of factors you would look at, how you would weigh them, how you would think about this decision if you were making it longer term. And if it's a significant decision, we call that a complex sale. You don't make the decision very often. That's when a salesperson can be really helpful, but they don't need to show up with an agenda other than the agenda now is that I need to create value for you in the sales conversation. What that means is the solution's not the value. My company's not the value. While we're sitting here and we're talking together, the only value is the conversation. So I need to figure out how do I help Mark get the result that he wants? Okay, so I can ask you some questions. You can give me some answers and then I can sort of get an idea like what does he know? What is he missing right now? So I can give him additional insights. And what I'm trying to do is transfer my experience and my knowledge and my insights to you mm. so that you have this aha moment. And you're like, oh, I wasn't considering that. If you've ever been in a sales situation or if you've ever been in a situation where somebody's selling to you and somebody says, that's a great question. As soon as they say that, you know, they just learned something about themselves. So that's what we're trying to do is help enable you to think. So there's two generations. So one I call legacy laggard. That's super old, like totally self-oriented, no value creation, except for if you buy, then I'll give you some value. The second generation that we're leaving is called uh, legacy solutions. I'm going to help you solve your problem. But now we're in a modern approach and a modern approach is I'm going to help you get a strategic outcome. I'm going to make sure that you get the outcome you want. So it's not only about solving the problem, it's about helping you get the results that you want. And so we're focused on results now and that's the change. So has everybody come with us to the modern age? No. Am, am I working as hard as I can, as fast as I can, Mark? Yes. Am I failing miserably? Yes. There's too many of you out there that still do it this way. <laughs> and we got to move you to the modern approach. So that people go like, you know what, before I make a decision, I want to talk to Mark because Mark's got all kinds of insights and better experience around this. He's going to help us make a good decision. There's only, I used to say, there's only two things you need to be a trusted advisor, trust and advice. Pretty simple, right? <laughs> but now I'm adding a third and it's proactively. Like if you get hurt and then you're like, I made a mistake. Well, that's because somebody didn't give you the right advice at the beginning. So a trusted advisor, you have to go out and do that in front of the decision that they make so they don't make a bad decision. Mm. That's really what we're charged with doing today. Mm. That's true. And I, I think one of the hangups that I have as somebody who's worked in entrepreneurship for over 10 years is where I see sales that 
that absolutely gets on my goat is on LinkedIn, where somebody <laughs> where somebody connects with you, and it's what I call they vomit over you. There's no context. There's no relationship building. There's just literally, this is what I do, and this is how much it'll cost. And it's, it's ugh. And I literally disconnect from those people. Uh, I, I, un, I unconnect myself because, for me, it's completely back to front. It has to be relationship first, then have the context of that to be able to serve and, and really give. What, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? I think you're the kind of guy that might go on a few dates before you get married. You know, you might, you might actually try to decide whether or not this is a person I want to spend time with before you, you make a commitment like that. Yeah. I don't, I don't LinkedIn is a really, really difficult place for me in the same regard. So I see these things and I can see that it's all been automated now because the scripts are all the same and it'll say something like Mark. And the best part is if this doesn't work, you don't pay. It's like, no, the best part is disconnecting from you. That's the best part is never having to see you again. <laughs> and, and this is the legacy approach. So it's completely transactional. They're like, I can build a website for you. Okay. Congratulations, Jimmy. You build websites. I don't know. Like <laughs> I'm not trying to build a website right now, but that transactional is like, everybody's a prospect. Everybody needs to buy what I sell. No, there's no targeting. In the United States, there's a war going on around cold calling, and there's a group of people that hate cold calling and think it should be eliminated, and basically because of three things. Um, it's an interruption, but you didn't have permission to do that. And then it is um, not targeted. And three, there's, it's a very low yield. You don't, get a lot of, you don't get a lot of people to say yes to a meeting. So all of those three things that they complain about is what is exactly happening on LinkedIn. <laughs> exactly. No permission to get into my in-mail, but you're there. And when you're there, it's completely untargeted because people offer me uh, to help me with sales training. And you're like, did you even look? Like, Did you even look before you sent me that? Like, you have any idea? Like, you're begging for deals on LinkedIn and I'm not. So one of us is in a better situation than the other. And then the last one is low yield. Like they get incredibly low yield, but they've automated it. I think that if they charged you, this is my guess. If we charged you a dollar to send us an email, you get a lot fewer. If we charge $2 for uh, an email, uh, spam would go away forever. <laughs> like there would never be any, because you wouldn't want to spend that money just automating all this spam to people, which is really what it is. The way that we think about value creation today is I've got to give you insights. Mm. I've got to help you make good decisions. We've got to have a conversation about the things that you value and why you value them and what you want. That's where sales has moved to. And the people that don't move this direction end up having a very, very difficult time in this environment. Mm. I'm glad that you, because one of my questions was going to be around, do you still believe in cold calling? And, and if so, why? Uh, and then, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, you've started to say that it, it's evolving. The way we do sales is evolving. How, how do we adapt these new changes? Maybe uh, somebody who's listening is one of those people that we've kind of identified on, on LinkedIn. How, how do we adapt both online and offline with this new way of, of doing sales? Well, I think for the person that's doing this on LinkedIn, number one, stop. Just stop. Don't yeah. do that anymore. And then um, if, if you're Catholic or, or something like that, say 46,000 Hail Marys and 49,000 Our Fathers. I don't know, like beg forgiveness for your sins. Uh, you, you definitely need to do that. 
the the thing that they need to understand that even when we cold call now, the data is available to us. So we can look and say, are these the kind of people that benefit from what we sell? And we can get super specific with targeting. We can target the right title. We can target the right industries. We have case studies and the ability to show them some of the things that are going on in their world. It's a much, much different game than it was when I started doing this. And I started making cold calls when I was 15. But now we have so much better information. No one would want anybody to pick up a phone book and start dialing phone numbers because it would be a total waste of your time. Mm. So instead we target and we build lists of 60 that we're going to nurture over time. And it turns out that nurturing those relationships to your point causes people to engage with you and to feel good about that engagement because you're giving them insights. You're saying, here's one thing that you should be looking at. This is what's going to happen in the future. You might start preparing for, and that helps people. And that's really what you're trying to do. So my, my view of sales is that you're, you have to care enough to do that for people before you get anything. So a lot of the legacy approach is about capturing value. Mm. So the modern approach is about creating value. And then you don't have to worry about capturing your fair share. Cause when you create the value, then people buy from you because they like you, they trust you. So it's known, liked and trusted and you created value for me. And the mm. part that people are mostly missing to your, to your uh, anecdote about LinkedIn, no value creation. They mm. actually subtract from value. So you're getting negative value from those people. There's no one who would recommend that. No, no one who is serious about sales effectiveness and client relationships. And I'm a relationship guy too. Mm. So I, no one would recommend that you start by spamming people. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, having been in the coaching and mentoring industry and how everybody seems to be a coach and mentor these days and how I really believe that the whole, the whole field of, of coaching mentoring needs to be regulated. There needs to be something done because I feel like the credibility of it sometimes gets lost. And I think it's exactly the same in sales. I mean, how, how do we make a change and shift when we know that other people in our industry are kind of giving it a bad press? How do we, how do we move the tide uh, and make sure that it is credible? Here's what I would tell you. There's an American philosopher named Ken Wilber. And Ken Wilber is a, a friend of mine. He's the most cited philosopher, American philosopher in academia. And one of the things that he has a lot of uh, content around and has built structures around is how things evolve. And the way that things evolve is that like, they don't just replace what came before them. Evolution is basically, it transcends and includes what came before it. So that that's generally what it does. There's not going to be much time left for people who are all the way back at what I would call legacy laggards. I mean, there's not much time left for them. They're struggling right now to stay alive because when they say, um, Mark, here's what my company's name is. Here's how big we are. You're like, dude, I saw your website, heard of Google. We I just Google you. It's not hard to find that information. Here's the products we sell. Yeah, I can see that on your website. Like you, you're not creating any value for me. So the transactional approach is really going to be limited now. And the, the market is being pulled in two different directions. So the first direction is super transactional. That's Amazon. Amazon's like, put your credit card in. I'm going to give you a one-click button. Everything shows up on your porch. I don't know what's in those boxes on my porch. I wish I did. I know I paid for them, but I don't know what's in there because it's just transactional. And you could just push the button and that happens. But the other way that it's getting pulled is super relational. 
which means you're going to create tremendous value and you're going to be a strategic partner. And so the middle part's getting pulled apart. There's not a strong middle anymore, kind of like politics, not a strong middle, sort of like everything's out on the edges. And you would hope that there's a stronger middle, but there's not a stronger middle. There's not a stronger middle here either. It's like when you're competing against people who are super relational, your offer is not good enough, but then it's too good for the people that are trying to do transactional sales. So it's a really, really polarizing decision that you have to make about how you want to operate in this world. The people that resonate with my approach and that read my books and my blog and the YouTube channel they're looking to be like, how do I become super relational? How do I become uh, super consultative? And, and that's the place that they're playing. They want to be a strategic partner. They want deep relationships with the organization and lifetime clients. So that, that's the place where I play. Mm. And I, I try to help the legacy laggards, but honestly, it's not that much fun. <laughs> they, they don't really want to do these things. They want to go back to 1978 or something like that. Mm. We have a lot of coaches, mentors, and consultants, you know, in the brains community in particular. Could you kind of give us maybe just a few practicals if we were to take one of those and say, what's the right way to go about trying to, as you said, like uh, add value and build relationship and do sales the right way? What would that look like for somebody trying to reach their, their target client? Well, there's a couple of things. I've written a blog post every day. It will be 12 years this December. So wow. I'm, I'm at 11 and a half years. So I've, I've done that every day. Wow. I had a friend, a friend who was in the, the same type of business you're describing. And he called me and he said, um, well, he used a, a bad word to describe me. He described me as a person that was part of an anatomy. He, he described me as part of your anatomy. Okay. So I'm trying to keep this clean if I can. <laughs> And I said, okay, I understand that you think that I'm that, but what would be interesting is understanding why. And he said, you give your content away every single day. Like you don't understand how content works. It has to be behind a firewall and that people have to pay. And I said, well, I disagree with you. And, you know, I watched Seth Godin do this for years before I started. I watched Tom Peters do it. I watched Chris Brogan do it. I watched a number of people doing it. And I think it's the right strategy. I'm giving everything away. And uh, he reminded me that what he thought about me, which was fine. And, and then he asked me the question he really wanted to ask, how do you keep getting clients? <laughs> I, was like, I don't think you're going to like my answer. <laughs> you may not like this, what I say. Uh, I'm giving it away because people say, I know him. I like him. I trust him. I know what he stands for. He ends every newsletter and every blog post now with do good work. And it's about doing good work, which means not only the quality of the work, the impact of the work. And if you focus on those things, like how do I make sure that people understand what I'm for and what I'm about and how I help them, you make it a lot easier. Mm. You can try a push strategy. And I've seen some people on LinkedIn try that with me, like telling me like, I could coach you and do this thing. And I'm looking and like, you can't get a client already. Like you're, you're, you already can't get a client. So you have a bigger problem and you should use a pull like be attractive to the people that need you and that believe that your ideas would help them. So that's the most important thing. So the, the hard part for people is they think, this is what they generally say to me, Mark, I can't write a blog post every day. <clears throat> and then I say, I know you can't. And then they say, well, I could if I wanted to. And I'm like, yeah, I know you can. <laughs> Basically, it's, it's not magic. 
you're just typing on a keyboard. It's not very difficult to do. Uh, it's difficult to do every day for a long time. But when I tell them, make a top 10 list of the 10 biggest challenges the client that you want to serve is dealing with, make a top 10 list, mm -hmm. then take your top 10 and try to make a top 10 out of each top 10. So take and try to make an, an, like a top 10 for number one. Number one, you're a legacy laggard salesperson. So what should you do? So number one, you need to start figuring out what your insights are. You know, I could make you a list of 10 things to do under that. 10 things you need to change. Doesn't have to be 10. Maybe you get seven on one and 15 on another, doesn't matter. But let's say at 10 plus 10, you got the original one, plus you got another hundred. So you can end up with about 111 pieces of content just by making a list and then responding to the list. And then you start having the content that people go like, wow, they understand the challenge I'm having. When I send out my Sunday newsletter about every week, I get a note that says, you wrote this exactly for me. I know you wrote this for me. Well, I don't know you, Jimmy. I mean, I've never met you. I have no idea. It's just, it's, it's broad enough that a lot of people go, that's a super helpful idea for me right now. And if you send something to a hundred thousand people, chances are some percentage of them are going to go, yeah, this is really helpful for me. <laughs> That's what I would recommend. I, I think it's a better strategy and I think it will help you grow your list. I think it will help you uh, end up with more clients and even more important, the right clients. I was going to say, you know, that's why horoscopes are so popular because it's exact same sort of premise. <laughs> it's going to yeah. capture, it's going to capture enough, you know, if it's things that are common to man that are, that are a problem. You, you, you can't do it any other way. I mean, someone special is going to come into your life. <laughs> okay. Today? No, sometime. <laughs> Just sometime. Yeah. Sometime. Yeah. Okay. Good guess. <laughs> I've got to ask you this. If you, if you've wrote every day, right. For 11 and a half years, you know, first of all, why? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm always fascinated by why people do it. You are a very smart guy. So in, in me asking the question, that isn't me being thick. I'm just really fascinated. Um, I've always enjoyed being able to create content myself. I don't really get blocks either. So I, I find the idea of cr content creation quite free flowing as well. But what, what is it about, why have you wrote, you know, every day for 11 and a half years? On December 28th, 2009, I sat down with my wife. This is in the heart of the recession here. And I said, I'm going to start writing every day. And within one year, I'm going to be keynoting sales conferences. And then I told her how much money I was going to make for keynoting. And she said, I really don't understand anything that you're saying, but I love you and I support you. Aww. And I said, okay, so, so far, so good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to be getting up really early because I need an hour to write in the morning. And it really took me longer than an hour. When I started, it was much harder at the beginning, yeah. even though I liked writing. And uh, October, I got the first call saying, we'd like you to speak at our conference. And I missed my one-year goal by about seven days. <laughs> so not, not too bad, not off the mark. And I asked for the exact money I said I was going to ask for. And uh, sadly, they said yes, without any kind of wringing of hands or gnashing of teeth. They just said yes. And then I was like, I'm under market. <laughs> I'm under market. <laughs> they didn't even complain. There wasn't even a little bit of complaint. They're like, okay, send a contract. And I was like, man, I missed it. I should have gone with a higher number. And then I found out, you know, sometimes when people are putting on a conference that costs $5 million, they're not looking for a cheap speaker. 
they're not, they're trying to have an experience. And so you, you find out that the business works that way. Um, I started writing and I haven't stopped and it's because I'm a writer. So when people say, how do you write every day? My question back is, how do you not write every day? Like, mm. What are you doing that you're not writing? What you don't have ideas. You, of course mm. you have ideas. Mm. And, and of course you have things that you need to share or what people would benefit from. So for me, it's just very natural for me to do. And it's my, it's the first thing I do every morning at four 30. When I wake up, I type a thousand words uh, immediately upon waking up almost immediately first a cup of coffee. And then we start that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I understand the how I think the why is the most fascinating for me. You know, do you feel like it's a kind of form of therapy as well for you that it isn't just about you creating content for those that are reading it to be educated and engaged? Do you feel like it's it's good for you? I have um, I've studied with two uh, very, very high level Zen masters and uh, I learned a lot from them. But from Genpo Roshi, he said, if you don't want to meditate, write just just right he goes it does the exact same thing it takes whatever's in here and it allows you to objectify it so you put it on paper now it's not in you anymore now you're looking at it on paper because it's not in you anymore and you can move all that stuff out and so some of it is some of that for me i also keep a journal so like whenever i have any kind of idea i have an observation journal i just make observations and i have a prediction journal which mm -hmm. i'm really good at i'm great at predictions because i don't make very many <laughs> Like the then, last one I made here was by, I said, by July of 2021, everybody's going back to regular life. Like there's, there's no way. And people are going back to the office and I had friends and a lot of people who said like, nope, it's going to be virtual from now on. I'm like, you don't understand humans. You don't understand human beings. We're social animals. That's We're going to be in the same place together. And then JP Morgan Chase, their CEO, Jamie Dimon, about three weeks ago, went on CNBC here and uh, had reported that he had called all of the clients that they lost during the downturn, the pandemic. There was one single reason why they went with the competitor. The only question he wanted to know was, why did you go with our competitor? And he said, because they came to see us and you didn't. So what's the variable? Caring. Caring is the variable. Mm. Caring is the superpower in sales. If you care, then I'm going to buy from you because I know you, I like you, and I trust you because I know you care. If you're transactional and you treat me like I'm a transaction, like I'm a way to get money out of, uh, out of my wallet and into yours, then the, the self-orientation is going to repel people away from you. Mm. So that's it. And caring something you either do or you don't just depends on how you're wired, but you should think about the most important thing that you have in your life is relationships. Like there, there's nothing else. And at the end, you're not going to be on your deathbed and go like, I have so many unanswered emails. I wish I would have been able to respond to. Mm. <laughs> you're never going to say that. Mm. You're going to say, I want more time with these people. And, mm. and that's it. It's all about relationships and people. And if you have a, a heart for service and you want to make a difference, you're always selling. You're, you're always trying to help people get the result that they couldn't get without your help. Mm. Yeah, I love that. A couple of questions I've got to get in here, even if I go slightly over. I always think if, if the essence is there, it's, it's, it's good to keep going with it. As someone whom people seem uh, to gravitate toward, you know, people gravitate toward you, it seems, from, from what I've really gauged, uh, Anthony, 
How do each of us become a person whom others will gravitate towards? What What is the characteristic or the energy that you feel draws people to you? And how do we become a, a, a people who also attracts, you know, you mentioned about pulling rather than, yeah. you know, how, how do we, how do we do that? Well, there's the first thing that I would say is that the, if you wanted to start with the first variable on, on mastery, the first variable on mastery would be curiosity. Mm-hmm. So if I were to turn this laptop, you would see a thousand books on this wall. And then there's books stacked up because I'm, I have trying to transport some to the basement. Uh, my wife's okay with this. This is one of our things that we have to talk about. Like my my addiction to buying books that I will not live long enough to read, but I feel better when they're around. So that's it. But you have to be curious. And then you have to actually work towards mastery. And mastery means I know my subject well enough that I can teach others. Now, I want to be careful here on what I say, because I don't want to discourage young people who are on the path to mastery and who need to teach because teaching is one way to gain greater competency and greater mastery. But here's what I would say. I'm on chapter 53. I'm on chapter 53. So if you're on chapter 22, I got a lot to say to you. I got a lot. But if if you're on chapter 22 uh, and somebody else is on chapter 34, probably not going to be very attractive because they're ahead of you on this. So they, mm-hmm. they already have this. So you, you want to start recognizing like, where are you on this path? And then teaching is a really important part of that. So once mm-hmm. you start teaching it, then you start to get not only, let me, let me give you this in two ways. So there's knowledge transfer, super easy. I can tell you exactly what to do. I've got a uh, hundred hours of video content that we sell under a product, product called sales accelerator. Some of the largest companies in the world are on that product. That's knowledge transfer. Mm. But what we do is we make people go out and execute it. So that's competency transfer. That's something very, very different. So for you to get mastery and attract people, they have to recognize that you have the ability to transfer competency to them. Knowledge is free. It's easy. You got Google. I've got Google. It's easy to do those things. So you're looking for people that have produced a certain result and you never want to take advice from somebody who hasn't produced the result that you want. Mm. So if, if you're, if you're trying to become you know, worth a hundred billion dollars, you're going to look at Bezos and Buffett and people like that. Uh, and the guy that's a millionaire at your golf club, isn't the guy that can get you to a billion because they haven't figured out how to do it yet. So what you want to do for to attract people is make sure that they understand that you have the competence to deliver this result because you've done it. Mm-hmm. What people, when they asked me to start helping them is because I transferred my competency as a sales professional to six other people who then no longer needed me to do anything for them because they were either as good as me or in some cases better. Mm. They were better with the content that I gave them than I was. Mm. And some of it's personality driven too. So there's some of that. I would tell you, work on curiosity, go very deep in whatever it is that you're going to teach and train, build mastery, and then make sure you can show people the competencies. Beautiful. I love that. Cause I think there's a lot of fluff out there and it's good to have some practical actionable. So thank you for those. Uh, last uh, question that I have, and then I'm just going to ask you if you've got anything else that you, that you want to add and, and obviously let people know how they can connect with you. Um, has anybody said that you look like John Malkovich? Uh, you know, what's funny about that? Yes. Number one. And this guy did that on LinkedIn. He goes, I had this picture on there and he said, I thought this was John Malkovich. And so I sent back the comment. 
are you saying I look like a movie star? <laughs> and he said, yes. Um, what's funny about that is I didn't have this beard when I recorded the audio for my third book, Ether Lunch. I didn't have this beard at all. So I might have still resembled Malkovich, but not as like, like with this, this really does it. Yeah, I was going to uh, say. And I was being interviewed by Penguin uh, Random House. And they said, if you didn't read your own book, who would you have read it? And I said, John Malkovich. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I didn't have this beard and no one thought I looked like John Malkovich at that time. But that was my first pick. How funny. That's hilarious. It really did. It only dawned on me about 10 minutes into the interview. I thought, so I you ask... think I look like a movie star. I Thank do. You for that. I do. <laughs> I do, Anthony. Is there anything else that you would like to say or add uh, and let people know how they can interact with you? Yeah, the best place to find me is thesalesblog.com. That's the platform that I'm on daily. That's where the publication comes out. There's a newsletter there that goes to 100,000 people. And uh, you can sign up for the newsletter and we'll send you something once a week uh, if you're interested in that. Uh, I have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Shannarino. So those are all the places, but LinkedIn, wherever people want to, uh, to find me, it works for me. Just don't vomit on him. <laughs> yeah, please don't pitch me. I actually wrote that on LinkedIn. Like, please don't pitch me. Like, and I like a pitch. I'll, uh, honestly, the truth is if this phone rings and it's a cold call, I'll take the cold call. I'm interested in, in hearing it and learning about it. But the, the LinkedIn thing is just too much. Yeah. Anyway, I want to say thank you for having me as part of the Brains family. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I've been watching you guys for some time. And uh, I'm happy we got a chance to do this. So thank you very much. Me too. And I think it was really good as well, because I think sales, like I said, it has such negatives. I think you breathed a fresh uh, air into that whole thought process. So it was a really rich interview. So thank you, Anthony. Thank you. See you soon. See you soon. Thank you for joining this episode with me, Max Sefton. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us a positive review on iTunes. And I look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast.